the Pickleball Show is brought to you by PBX Club. PBX stands for Pickleball Excellence. Join today and get the latest pickleball tips and strategies, news, and opinion. Save money on paddles and other equipment with coupon codes to online pickleball retailers. Get travel discounts to tournaments and a whole lot more. How much does it cost to become a PBX Club member? Well, it's free. Just go to freepbxclub.com. That's freepbxclub.com. There's even a link in the show notes for this episode. FreePBXClub.com. PBX Pickleball Excellence. Join the club. It's free. This is Prem Carno, author of Smart Pickleball, and here is the host of the Pickleball Show, Chris Allen. Thank you, Prem, and welcome to the show dedicated to helping you play better pickleball while having even more fun and meeting new friends who share your passion for this great sport. My name is Chris Allen, coming to you from Asheville, North Carolina. This is episode number 20 of the Pickleball Show. In previous episodes, we've talked about a lot of things, a lot of tips and tricks, strategies, tactics. We've talked uh, third shot, drop shot, lob. We've talked cross step, side step, split step. There's one thing, though, that we haven't talked about directly that's as important, maybe even more important than all of those other things combined. And that one thing is mindset. Now, if you've attended the Nationals or the Tournament of Champions or just watched those tournaments on uh, videos on YouTube, you probably couldn't help but notice my next guest. He's unique in many ways. He uses a unique paddle. It's a little more oblong than the uh, paddle you're used to seeing. He uh, is, is quite tall, so he has a unique playing ability. But the one thing that I think is most unique about him is his mindset. He routinely shares the court with the other top players in the world, including Alex Hamner, Tim Nelson, Enrique Ruiz, Jennifer Lucor, and his name is Matthew Blom. Matthew, thank you for making time for us today here on the Pickleball Show. I'm very curious to see what will come out of this, but it's good to be here. <laughs> Fair enough. This is a mindset edition of the Pickleball Show, and in watching your YouTube videos of you playing in uh, the Nationals and other tournaments, I'm always struck by what seems to be a mindset from you that is it's aggressive, it's a winning mindset, but it's not a mindset that's fueled from rage or anger. You can see the, the peacefulness in the way you played, but like I said, it, it is deliberate. And I'm wondering uh, maybe what the keys to having that kind of successful mindset are. There's probably a lot I'm not aware of about it, but what I can say is I think it begins with where I learned pickleball, which was from my tennis coach in college, his name is Dave Lester, and he was actually the first uh, pickleball champion back in the 70s in the first pickleball tournament they ever had. Mm -hmm. And he was, like I said, my tennis coach, and he taught us pickleball because he thought it would that it was a beneficial thing to help your tennis game as well. But really what he was, uh, that I came to find out, was he was a, a spiritual teacher in, in drag as a tennis coach. <laughs> and... He used racket sports. He was a badminton coach as well, tennis coach, and then uh, did some pickleball. And he really saw that racket sports were an access point into learning about the mind and learning about how we relate with our emotions and our state of being and what could really be done that would almost seem a little superhuman if you didn't know what you were getting into. And taught me some things that really shifted my whole perspective on sports and especially I've done 
I've done tennis, really high-level competitive league, badminton, table tennis, and then pickleball. And all of them, for me, were uh, vehicles for that study, the study of, of me, of the human element of it. And I enjoy it as a sport. I enjoy the competition. But really, there's a lot more that I do it for, which is how can I use this as a, a way to learn about how I relate with my emotional state and, and presence and really being able to be in the moment with something and to see what takes me out of that and to see how really a sport is a great way to do that because if you are off, you instantly know it because your level of play goes down. Mm -hmm. And being also a competitive person, I had that motivation. You know, we were discussing earlier about being an entrepreneur and I've also had that as an entrepreneur and something I've liked there is that profits are involved and money. So like learning about myself through that avenue has also been valuable because if I didn't have something to go for, I wouldn't have the motivation to to explore and really learn about myself. But pickleball now is the current channel for that in the sports realm. And then I have many others in a whole spiritual life as well. But that's where I think it comes from is seeing it that my the level of play has something to do with physicality for sure. And there's talent and there's learning the grip and the angles and how to move my body. And all of that is relevant. But there's something that goes beyond that. And I think that what really separates champions in any any field, if you like learn what Michael Jordan was doing mentally or what Roger Federer does. Mm-hmm. I've gone into that to learn different uh, sports figures and then other figures in non-sports related things. And the mental aspect, they will say again and again, is a huge percentage of it. So taking that on is the foundation. And then I add on the, okay, I'm playing with a plastic wiffle ball and I've got this metal paddle in my hand, but what is really going on here? So keeping that in perspective, I think is probably the biggest thing. And then uh, maybe some more specific questions we could get into of what that means, what that translates to on court. But it's really that, that approach to it in the first place, which I don't know how other people go about it. It may be different, it may be not, but I know for me that's that's underlying it all. That's the foundation of why I get on a court in the first place. One of my favorite books uh, came out in the 70s, Tim Galloway, and it was The Inner Game of Tennis. And he talks about the quiet mind in mm. that. And uh, that was one of the things that struck me when I first started seeing you pop up in the videos in the championship matches. It just seemed like you play with a quiet mind. Yeah. I've even had been poked fun of a little bit of like being called a Zen master or something out yeah. there. <laughs> it's like, yeah, if Tim Nelson is the puppet master of pickleball, then you can be the Zen master of pickleball. <laughs> <laughs> but it really, it really is true that uh, like in the, in the book, he says that the player of the inner game comes to value the art of relaxed concentration above all other skills. Mm. That is really, it seems like where that championship mindset comes from is just a, a relaxed concentration. And I love in the, in the book where he differentiates between self one and self two, self one being the conscious mind and uh, who thinks it's the boss, but self two is actually the subconscious and it's actually doing all of the work, the great shots and the shots that are so fast that you couldn't even think about it if you wanted to. He sums it up perfectly when he says it's action faster than thought. 
to me, that's one of the things that is so addicting to pickleball. It's those moments when you have, you know, the, the big shootouts when the game is going so fast that you don't have time to think about it. You're almost, you become almost a spectator, mm-hmm. you know, just watching your own body do these things. That is when, that's my favorite part of the game. And I think for a lot of people, that's the addicting part of the game. I think about martial arts when you say that, about the way a, a kung fu master might train. You know, you do the the punch a thousand times and learn the technique and, and have it available to you so that in the moment when it's necessary, it is that other, you're calling self too, mm-hmm. can react. You don't have to process it through your mind because you've done that enough times that it's in there. And I mean, I think about that as like you're saying the reflex follies or something up at net. I know I'm not thinking about it when it comes my way, but I have done it enough that I can be paying attention to other things. And I like that phrase a lot, relaxed concentration, because even in those kind of hand-to-hand battles, <laughs> really quick up at net, mm-hmm. what I find separates the people who win those points from those who don't is the level of anxiety that they have. Because if that starts to become, like you get tense and you get anxious and a little bit afraid, then you can no longer see the subtlety of what's happening you know, when I'm watching my opponents and, and the ball, I'm seeing their body and where they are turned and where there's an opening on the court and where they're leaning so that the same level of shot, same power of it or direction, it makes a big difference if I blast it back at them or I blast it back at them at their left foot where they are going away from. And that is unavailable to someone if they are running some anxiety on the court or not in that state of relaxed concentration Or like you were mentioning earlier, if they're still rehearsing the last bad shot they made and worried it's going to happen again. All of those things take you out of that relaxed concentration or being there in the moment with it, which is where it's also the most fun. In that book as well, and many other people talk about the zone. And being in that zone, there's very little thought. I think there's some thought to direct some things, but it becomes where you are moving on court and responding instead of reacting to what's happening around you. And then because, at least how it is for me, my field of awareness is open when I'm in that zone. The relaxed concentration means I can take in, I have a feel of where my partner is on the court with me. I can see where my opponents are and learn about them and see what's happening. So it's not just I'm reacting to a ball in front of me, but there's actually a whole court and a whole dynamic that's taking place and can watch and observe that so that when the ball does come to me, I know where I'd like to put it because there's a perception. I can see it. I can feel it as I'm describing it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the key is in the distinction you just made, the, the difference between responding and reacting. Mm-hmm. To me, the, a lot of people might think they're the same thing, but there's a world of difference between those two things. Responding, uh, you know, you're, you're still creating your future. You're still, you know, you're on the offensive. If you're just reacting, you're in a totally defensive posture and you're just, you're taking what's getting thrown at you and, and just, you're not creating anything out of it. You're just reacting to it. I mean, think about if you're in the hospital and they give you uh, some medicine, think about the distinction that way. If, if the, oh, the patient is responding to the treatment, they're healing, they're creating, they're getting better. If they, if they have a reaction 
to the treatment. Uh, you know, it's a negative thing. Uh oh, they're having a reaction. We better back off. That's a great way to put it. I like that. I think you hit on the key right there, and and uh, whether you realized it or not, you made that distinction, and that really is, I think, one of the differences to a winning championship mindset is that when you when you're up at the net, you're responding to what uh, the opponents are giving you instead of just reacting to it. So kudos to you. I'm glad that came out in this. I'm trying to think of how to make this useful for someone listening to it. If you can be on court and get a feel for those distinctions so that you can know, oh, that is where I'm reacting. And like that medical response, I'm having an allergic reaction to this shot versus responding like you're out there on the court because you want other players to hit the ball to you. You know, that's, that's the point. And so if that does come, how, how would I respond here? And if I can, there's a choicefulness that mm-hmm. comes instead of a, a mechanical reaction mm-hmm. that you are not really in, in control of. It probably translates itself into shot selection and realizing that you are loaded with options. That mm-hmm. you know you're because I think when you're when you're reacting, you're just wanting to get it back over the net. It's like I'm just I'm just going to feed it back to him, just whatever it takes. But if you're responding to it, it's like I can go here, I can go there. I think that's part of the freeing nature of that word. Is uh, yeah. you know I've got plenty of responses I can do. I can go to, go down at their feet. I can go across. I can go up. I can lob over, and yeah. just that that freedom of knowing that, all right, you know, it'll be okay. I can, I've I've got, you know, four or five different things here I can do. That freedom makes you a better player. And this is, this goes to then a competitive side of it for me is that when I or someone has those four or five options, what it means is that your, your opponents can never settle in because where, if you're reacting and if you're mechanical in what you do, then, and this is what I do when I'm watching my opponents is I'm learning what are their reactions to things? And if I can pick that up, it's a little like a poker player learning other players' tells. Mm-hmm. You know, if they scratch their face, they're probably bluffing, <laughs> that kind of thing. And so if, if they get a forehand down low, they're hitting this shot again and again, they become predictable. And then basically I'll hit them that shot and move to where they're going to hit it and then put it away. And if I or someone can be in a place where you have four or five options, then your, your opponents are always a little unsettled. And when someone's unsettled, they are a little more anxious. They will back up on their heels. And this then opens up more of the court for more angles and more shots that you can be put away. Or, you know, like you said, a lob at, the, at a moment when no one would expect it. It feels creative to me. And that's actually another thing I enjoy about the sport is the creativity of pickleball is one where it's not always the person who hits the hardest. Like some other sports have become more and more that way. The soft game, the touch, the angles, the spins, all of it is relevant. And if you have the basics underneath you, you know, good footwork, a good grip, learning some of those angles and spins, then you become a little like a wild animal, I want to say. You don't know what's going to come from that person. And that is unsettling. And that's the state I want my opponents in, really is that they're unsettled and don't know what's coming next so that I am responding and they're reacting. And then you can take your time and choose from a a cadre of different shots and go ahead and keep creating and keep writing the script. And then they're just, they're players in the play (laughs) and then you're writing the script. Yeah, when it goes well. And (laughs) why why I like to go to tournaments is that actually what is most exciting is when I'm on court with other script writers. You know, if I'm in my local league 
I can write the script pretty much all the time mm-hmm. and it becomes a little dry, but to go to where, okay, if I get, you know, all the names that you mentioned in the beginning, uh, Tim Nelson, Enrique, um, Wes, like, I mean, I could list a whole bunch of people. Then I'm with a peer and that's actually really exciting. Then I have to be on my edge and see who's going to write the script at this point because it could change from point to point and it does. Yeah. And that's what's, uh, what's exciting when you're you know, at that top level or wherever you're at, whatever level is your level where you're with peers. And sometimes it must be hard to, uh, if, you, if you are at that top level, you're, you're in that rare air that only a few people can occupy, and you are in that level. You're, you're among the top. It must be frustrating to not be able to play with those people every week or a couple of times a week uh, to have it just, you know, just when the big tournaments roll around. How do you keep your edge when you are playing, you know, with people who are not at the level that you're at? I'll speak to the first part and then answer your question. I remember last year at the Tournament of Champions, I got there and the day before and was playing with like Brian Staub and Phil Bagley and Cal Yates and different people that I don't get to play with. And it wasn't the tournament yet. We were just warming up and having fun. And I, after one point, I think, or in the middle of it, I just exclaimed like, I want to do this every week. Like, this is so great. This is what I wish I had. Uh-huh. But to your question, how do I do it? And I hope this is helpful for anyone who finds himself at the top of where they, they play, is I give myself challenges when I go out. So let's say, I'll give a specific example, something I've been doing of late. When I go out and play on the return of serve, normally what I do is I slide over so that I hit very few backhands on a return of serve. For those who don't realize this, you can take a step or two over to your left if you're a right-handed player and basically eliminate the possibility they get to your backhand unless they've got a really accurate serve. Mm -hmm. So I do that and I rarely hit backhands. I just move around and I hit the forehand that I love to hit and I either come over with topspin or I hit my, my patented slice underhand return. But lately I've been going out and like, you know, I'd like to work on my backhand, especially for singles. I want to be able to have a more accurate backhand to pass people and stuff. So I move the opposite direction and I go over and I hit all backhand returns. And if I go to net, one thing that I think is a weakness in my game is my consistency. Because of this uh, awareness that I have in some moments, I see a lot and I go for, for put away, to put away the ball. And sometimes I do it on something that's a little bit too low and I should maybe hit it back and be more, more, more consistent. So because I know that's something I need to work on, I'll do that when I'm playing with lower players and I'll go, okay, instead of putting this ball away, what is it like if I, I put this back, I hit a good shot, but put it over here instead of trying to just smack it. Mm-hmm. So I'll find things like that. You know, I want to work on lobs from the net. Instead of a dink return, I'll pop up a lob and see if I can get it over this player. And so I'll give myself many challenges to increase it. Since the players aren't really giving me that challenge very often, then I give myself my own challenge. And that's how I make it still engaging and enjoyable. And then there's the other part of it that I do like passing things on. I have a lot of experience on courts years and years and years. So there are things that new pickleball players don't know or have never come across or don't understand. And so there is something that I do like passing it on uh, in those moments too. And that, that's another part of enjoyment for me. But in terms of my own game and how I keep it as sharp as I can, I only play like two or three times a month because to get good play, I have to drive an hour and a half from where I live so it is a challenge for me, and thankfully I have enough racket sport experience that 
I can keep my game decent, but um, it's nowhere near. You know, I know players that are in areas where there's a lot of good players and they get to play four or five times a week. And we'll see if I'm able to hang with them over the, the next couple of years, because that kind of time on court makes it hard to keep it sharp at that level. I think there is a pickleball heaven and I think it's called the Villages. Huh? Uh, there's other pockets. I know in Arizona that's happening in Oregon more in Southern California, Seattle for sure. So I happen to live in a very small community. It's similar to Asheville, North Carolina, actually, but way smaller up in the foothills of Sierra Nevada's in Northern California. So I like where I live. I'm not going to move for pickleball, but I sure (laughs) miss it sometimes. You brought up earlier, you brought up uh, the uh, phenomenon of being in the zone And uh, I felt like this morning when I played, I was in the zone and then I dropped way out of the zone. And then I then I managed to to claw my way back into the zone before we stopped playing. When I find myself in it and then I get out of it, it's usually because I'm I'm reliving previous points instead of playing the point that I'm playing right now. I'm still trying to fix something that happened, you know, uh, one point ago or five points ago. And that just takes me off off my game and out of the rhythm. Have you trained your mind to where that really doesn't happen for you anymore? Or is it a constant struggle like the rest of us? I wouldn't say I'm free from it, but I would say that I have a perspective that changes it from where most people go, from what I can see. Like you're saying, you're going over past points. There's a way that I see most people go over past points, which is they go over it with disgust. They go over it with maybe some embarrassment or some upset, and they get down on themselves about it. That, I would say, is, is really the dynamic that has someone go downhill. I rarely have an outburst on court like where I'm upset about something, but I do ex- exclaim things, and they're usually what I exclaim are notes to myself of what I just did that I want to learn from. Hmm. You're giving yourself more of a course correction. If you exclaim something, it's it's a, almost like you're yelling to a, a driver, you know, oh, you know, turn here. This is, you know, some some way to, to correct the course, maybe. Is that? Yeah, I like that. Exclaiming to a driver, like, oh, you know, turn right or get, you know, get out of that mm-hmm. lane or whatever it is. Like, especially if there's danger. Yeah. <laughs> so, and where I, where I see people go downhill as if they, they, they say something like, ah, oh, damn it. Or like, you know, it's something that is really... There may be learning inside of it, but the way that they're going about learning is by berating themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And that berating yourself, it's like you can think about it what you would like in a partner. And I've seen this dynamic on court, and I know some players out there who sometimes they have a tough time finding partners because people don't like playing with them. Mm-hmm. Because what they will do instead of finding ways to encourage or keep their their partner as much in that relaxed concentration as they as they can help them to do they will berate them and say like what are you doing or why'd you make that shot or whatever it is and it's because they talk to themselves that way too oh yeah there's there are a lot of people that uh, you would never think to talk to a partner that way nor would you expect the partner to continue playing with you but you'll talk to yourself that way day in and day out why would you treat yourself worse than you would treat a stranger that just walked up and said hey can i play Mm-hmm. Also, I try to eliminate the shoulds from any feedback that I give myself. And a lot of times that's the spiral you get into. Oh, I should have done this. I shouldn't have done this. And, mm-hmm. and should is the most energy killing word out there. I mean, you can't even, you know, even when somebody says it, you can't say it in an upbeat way. 
<laughs> you know, and it's not it's not just related to pickleball, but anything. Hey, did you clean your room? No, but I should. Whenever you say should, your voice just drops. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I should lose 20 pounds. You know, it just it just it, you can hear the energy, you know, the, the air being let out of the balloon whenever somebody says should. And a lot of times that's when I get into those spirals that take me out of playing well is when I start the shoulds and I start, you know, I should have done, I should have hit up on it. I should, I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have hit that, you know, pop that one up. And then, so I try, if I start hearing a bunch of shoulds, I try to get a grip on it and get out of it, you know, easier said than done, but I just try to move to a, a different place in my mind and, mm-hmm. uh, and not keep those shoulds going constantly. Cause that is one way to kill some energy and momentum there. It's gold what you're saying. And I, I have somewhat of an antidote to the shoulding, which I think is a really useful one because there's a way that that could be heard as like, okay, so now I shouldn't should. And what do you do with it if you notice yourself? And so what I find more useful if you catch yourself in it or someone catches themselves in it, like I should have gone cross court there, is to find out, well, what was in the way of that happening? That question then gives me access to a way that I was I was operating, I was going about something because in that moment, I was thinking that I was making the best choice. Mm -hmm. And so if that wasn't the best choice after the moment has gone by, the aspects, the part of me that was up in that moment did think it was making the best choice. Otherwise, it wouldn't have done it. If I could have seen a better choice, I would have done it. So if looking back, one can see there was a better choice there, then to see what was in the way of me seeing that choice. Because if I could have seen it, I would have taken it. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they just have to say, you know, give yourself a break. You're not an idiot now and you weren't an idiot, you know, 20 seconds ago. Uh, You know, you made that choice and it was the best choice, you know, you thought at the time. Now, you know, a little different. So, you know, going going forward, uh, you know, put that in the uh, memory banks there. And uh, and when it comes up again, make a different one. I've played with some people that uh, I mean, they're almost schizophrenic when they get mad at themselves it's it's almost like somebody else's voice. I think probably most commonly with guys, it might be their dad's voice from 30 years ago in the bleachers on a football field somewhere. Yeah. And but they're almost like channeling this voice of, you know, you stink, you know, get out of, you know, you shouldn't even be here and stuff like that. And it's like, wow, where is that coming from? But then the next point, and I mean, they're just as nice as they can be. It's how we all learn to learn. We get that, you saying from father's voice or a coach or a teacher or anything. I haven't seen this movie, but I saw a little clips of it. This movie Whiplash mm-hmm. about a teacher, like a drum or a musical instructor right, yeah. who uses that method. And some people may think it's effective. And in one way it could be, but what you're really doing is you're teaching someone that the way to learn, the way to expand something that you want to know more about is to scare the crap out of yourself to get motivation. <laughs> uh-huh. And so dad did it early on and would make you feel shameful and bad about yourself as a way to motivate yourself. And it can have some effect, but boy, it's not the quality of life that I want at all. Mm-mm. I don't want to talk to myself that way. I don't want to talk to other people that way. I think learning, this gets into some philosophy here, it goes way beyond pickleball, but I think learning is such an innate and natural part of being a human being. Children are so acquisitive. They want to know about their world. And that's, they ask these questions. Why, why, why? They're just, they are sponges looking to absorb. If that is nurtured and continued, I think that it never ends. But it's when something else comes in, like learning is something that uh, I have to get good at. I should know this. 
if I don't, I will be put down, I will be shamed, I will be made fun of, whatever that con- turns into. So that's then they start carrying that method of learning into everything. And pickleball is one example. So if that's how they think that life goes and they make a mistake in pickleball, they better have a voice that comes in and berates them. Because otherwise, how are they going to learn? If they've never had another experience of learning that can be very alivening, can be very invigorating, like, wow, look at what just happened, that you are naturally drawn to then finding better choices. And like, like you said, I think very nicely, maybe they've never encountered that before. And how cool that you got a new experience. Now, when competition and points and you think you got to win comes in, it's, it's a little bit harder to have that kind of approach to learning, but it's still available. And I've used this metaphor of like, uh, you wouldn't criticize a first grader who didn't know trigonometry. Their step is to get their addition down and subtraction. And so you don't hold them to a standard that they should know trigonometry or geometry or algebra or anything at that point. It would be ridiculous if you were berating them for it. But people in pickleball or other avenues will berate themselves because they don't know trigonometry when they're still working on addition. Mm -hmm. And if they're holding themselves to that standard, then it's really a never-ending fight instead of where am I actually at and to be able to see that honestly, like where I'm at is here. So this is the next step. And if I get a shot that was beyond that, like, wow, applaud my opponent, well done. I hope I see that 10 more times so I can start to learn it that changes the whole mentality on court and leaves it as a very positive experience. I mean, sport, the word sport is like a pastime, fun, enjoyment, and hopefully it can be that for people. And when those other things come in, you may overall feel like you're having fun, but in that moment, you're in hell. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're not having fun. It's not enjoyable. And that carries with you and you know, stresses your body stresses your heart, stresses your, your blood pressure, all of that stuff that is happening. And then, as we said at the earlier part of the show, it takes you out of any chance of being in the zone or having a relaxed concentration, which it's my experience, sounds like yours, and anyone who, can, who finds trips over that experience, you know it is the highest state you can achieve in pretty much anything. But in playing sports, it's where championships are won. And not even that you need to go that high. It could be in recreational play. You just leave, like you said, your whole day is affected by having a high percentage of that be your experience while playing. And it leads into hopefully this interview, into what's happening next, how you talk to your kids, how you talk to your spouse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they feed off of one another. They do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with what we're talking about, about like you mentioned, you know, that you wouldn't criticize a first grader because you know uh, where they are and what stage there are. And uh, again, with the inner game of tennis, uh, 40 years ago, Tim Galloway put it so, so well when he talked about the rose. And I've got my dog-eared copy here. And this is this is one of my favorite little passages from that. He says, when we plant a rose seed in the earth, We notice that it is small, but we do not criticize it as rootless and stemless. We treat it as a seed, giving it the water and nourishment required of a seed. When it first shoots up out of the earth, we don't condemn it as immature and underdeveloped, nor do we criticize the buds for not being open when they appear. We stand and wonder at the process taking place and give the plant the care it needs at each stage of its development. The rose is a rose from the time it is a seed until the time it dies. Within it, at all times, it contains the whole potential. 
It seems to be constantly in the process of change, yet at each state, at each moment, it is perfectly all right as it is. If you can talk to yourself that way, which is a lot easier said than done, especially, you know, in stressful times, if, but if you can muster the, the discipline to talk to yourself that way and treat yourself that way, I really do think that that helps unlock some keys to having the quiet mind and being able to play at the top of your ability. I'm really absorbing that passage. I like it a lot. And again, that is From the Inner Game of Tennis by Timothy Galway, a book released in 1974. I'd actually like to pause right there and not only reflect on that wisdom, but reflect on the insights and wisdom that we have gotten from you today, Matthew. Thank you so much for joining us. And Matthew Blom will be back with us next week to continue the conversation on the 5.0 Mindset and beyond. Until then, have you gotten your copy of the top 10 tips from Pickleball's three greatest coaches? Coach Mo, Deb Harrison, Prem Carno, together in one quick study guide that'll definitely take your game to the next level. You can get it right now, and it's free. Just go to freepbxclub.com, enter your email address, and we'll send it right over to you. freepbxclub.com. I'm Chris Allen. This is the Pickleball Show. And until next week, keep them low. The Pickleball Show is brought to you by PBX Club. PBX stands for Pickleball Excellence. Join today and get the latest pickleball tips and strategies, news and opinion. Save money on paddles and other equipment with coupon codes to online pickleball retailers. Get travel discounts to tournaments and a whole lot more. How much does it cost to become a PBX Club member? Well, it's free. Just go to freepbxclub.com. That's freepbxclub.com. There's even a link in the show notes for this episode. FreePBXClub.com. PBX Pickleball Excellence. Join the club. It's free.